Previously, on Monster on the Beach. Uh, I looked up and there was Joey with a gun pointing at me saying, give me all your money and give me all your pills. And then he shot, shot us. What made you go to Dr. Gaden? You talking about Dr. John Gaden? Yes. Um, I just, I started doing them and my boyfriend at the time. Started doing what? I started doing blues. Or what what hobbies? Yeah, and he didn't want to support my habits, so he told me to go to game. I'm John Torres, and welcome back to Murder on the Space Coast. So it's 2006, 2007, and already Dr. John Gaydon's pain management clinic is a big hit. That is, a big hit with anyone looking to score some Oxycontin, Xanax, or any other strong opiate painkiller. He's certainly making a name for himself around town, especially with the young people, the addicts, and the police. We heard Indy Atlantic Police Chief Mike Connor say last episode that the line at the pharmacy of people with John Gaydon prescriptions was literally out the door. We also heard him say that Gaydon was pulled over with two young girls in the front seat and lots of sample pills. But we also heard him say his hands were tied to an extent. This was a legitimate doctor, and who's to say that he wasn't providing real and effective medical care? But the name Gaydon soon became common among the teens in the area. Gaydon became so popular among high school kids that they would sometimes dress like him for Halloween, according to Tyler Kelsey, who witnessed firsthand the demise of many of his friends. It's so easy to, to, to get drugs, you know, to you know, you pay your $200 or $400 for, for the visit, and he writes you a script for whatever you want, for how much ever you want, and... Um, next thing you know, you know, those people are hooked and heroin seems to be, you know, I never did it, but you know, family members, friends, I've seen them all, all go down with it. Tyler refers to Oxycontin as heroin. On the streets, it is sometimes called hillbilly heroin. One of my best friend's brothers was, he was hooked on it bad and he went to Gaydon and he was, you know, he was one of Gaydon's victims. And, um, man, you just, and the dude was a stud athlete. Uh, he came from Orlando, their family did, and stud baseball player, absolute stud. Uh, would have gone to college and stuff. Uh, I think he played like second base. He's just phenomenal. And he got here and got hooked and went way downhill. Two of our friends that we grew up, uh, we grew up with, Surfing right with us the whole time, part of our tight group. Um, they went off. They started doing the shit, getting with Gaiden, and then they became burglars and just punks, just thugs, total thugs. Rob, one of our friends, we had this you know little friend group. We all surfed together and 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 all that. We were very close, and they ended up getting so bad to where these kids they lived in one of those houses like you were talking about because because they're young and they were hooked on drugs it was one of those heroin dens looked like shit and right there on coconut near the and um they ended up robbing one of their best friends on on christmas eve 
of every gift, ran up in their house and stole everything. And so, man, these were these were our best friends. We grew up surfing with them together since we were seven, and it's just like, and then it, it never ended. They were just in and out, in and out, doing bad things, just robbing people, drugs, rob, steal, sell dope, you know, that whole thing. I have to say how impressed I am with Tyler. Why? Well, because he's a hardworking 26-year-old with a good job at one of the area's high-tech companies and making something of his life when it could have all easily taken a downward turn early on. In addition to seeing many of his friends succumb to drug abuse and opiates, his mother was an alcoholic who passed away when he was young, and then his father's new wife, his stepmother, got hooked on pain pills. Oh, and they happened to live right around the corner from John Gaydon's office. My stepmother, my ex-stepmother, was caught up in the whole Dr. Gaydon pills thing because she had a hurt neck, hurt back, and she was hooked on the blues. Oh, and, the, and, the, and so that was... So how did that start? It was, was like she in a car accident or something? Or she yep. Started? She was in a car accident. I guess her neck went through the windshield uh, pretty bad, you know, so... Um, she got prescribed, and uh, I just have vivid memories of being a little kid, like 12 and 13, and her going on like a, a rage, just a rampant rage. Where the f- is my pills, blah, 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 like, you know, just super abusive, pin you against the ground, thinking you took them, thinking I took them. I'm like, why would I take your medicine? You know, not 12 years old, don't, don't understand what they do and and it just deteriorated from there and knowing the what was just going on around the corner you know and so she was going to Gay's office that i i i cannot uh confirm um because i don't really speak with her and but knowing that he was just around the corner and she had an unlimited supply uh you know you can put two and two together And then there's Deborah Lavelle, whose son Pete got hooked on pain meds. Like many others, it began innocently enough, but who eventually wound up as one of Gaydon's many patients. What happened with him was he had a hernia operation, was put on pain pills, as a lot of people, and uh, then had a second one because the doctor didn't realize it was a double hernia a year later. By then he was totally hooked, and he was a good kid. He was in college, so of course he quit college. And that addiction, it engulfs the whole family. It broke up my marriage. For three years we separated. We did fortunately go back together. My younger daughter suffered because of course all the attention was on him. It's the stealing, it's the the anguish of waiting for that phone call. They're either in jail or dead, which was my biggest fear because that phone call came. Luckily he was in jail. Um, one instance I remember really clearly, you know, the Walgreens on A1A. Yeah. He had had my husband's truck, which he wasn't supposed to have. A uh, cop called. Well, I happened to be riding looking for him, frantic, because if I didn't know where he was, and somebody had called the cops, he was found out cold with the needle in his arm, with the truck door open and running. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, that was horrifying to come up on. And then the cops took him away. And then you go, aha, but now your child's in jail. So that's not better. Like many others, it began innocently enough. 
but he would eventually wind up as one of Gaydon's many patients. Can you imagine hearing that your son is found passed out with a needle in his arm and the vehicle still running? She told me that the most at peace she ever was was when her son was locked up, so I asked Deborah to describe what it was like when he wasn't locked up. What is it like to live with somebody who's hooked on painkillers like that? You're in constant fear. You're, first of all, you're looking for your jewelry. I mean, I had to put a safe in the house. You're looking for everything. Did he steal from my wallet? You know. Then I'm worried about my daughter, who was a great kid. She's a nurse now. And she was being neglected because all the attention was on him. And when he was home, it was totally the opposite. He locked himself in the bathroom. I would take a knife and unlock the door to see what he was doing. I would catch him with a needle in his arm. Oh, I would yeah. catch him with putting a tourniquet on. It was heartbreaking. It was awful. Hey, if you like what we do here at Murder on the Space Coast, then help us continue our work. Please consider subscribing to Florida Today newspaper. You'll be surprised to learn that our digital subscriptions cost about the same as one premium cup of coffee a month. Just go to floridatoday.com backslash subscribe. As you might imagine, Dr. Gaydon's operations had a certain and almost immediate effect on the surrounding neighborhood. Not only were there incidents like we just heard about, Deborah's son overdosing in a parking lot, but there was now a new element in this quiet beachside oceanfront neighborhood that had not been there before. Wanting to remain close to their source of pills, many started living in pop-up makeshift campsites and overgrown vacant lots that had yet to be developed. These were people who were hooked. These were people who needed money. These were people who were desperate. Here is Brevard County Sheriff's Commander Dan Singleton. Part of his patrol was the little unincorporated area of Indian Atlantic. It was not uncommon for us to receive calls for service from residents or businesses in the nearby area to his business, um, specific to um, things like at the beach accesses, found syringes, people camping in the wood area, um, in the general area of his practice. There's um, locally owned convenience stores in the immediate area that we're seeing an influx of, you know, what could be best described as aggressive panhandlers out front harassing the customers as they were trying to come in and, and uh, get items from the business. Um, and so, you know, you would get a lot of phone calls asking for a law enforcement response to most times move the people along because the businesses did not want to press criminal charges because they were somewhat fearful of retaliation by the individuals that they were moving along. Um, you know, it was very troubling when you find the items such as the used syringes and things like that along the beach accesses, you know, that's a heavily populated area that, you know, a lot of families visit. Um, you know, they've got a lot of children, um, you know, riding their bikes, playing in the neighborhood after school hours. So in many cases, these weren't the types of calls that resulted in criminal charges, but were rather something he characterized as quality of life calls. What is a quality of life call? Well, you know, the way we would define a quality of life call is, is the, you know, individuals that were visiting this practice, obtaining their oxycodone at that time, he was one of the prolific prescribers of oxycodone. But with those individuals hanging out in the general area, um, you know, they're hanging out in public locations during a time where the public is welcome. And at that same time, too, it did create a lot of uneasiness from the citizens or from the people that were there to enjoy those resources. 
because of some of that aggressiveness where they may be approached and asked for or solicited for monies um, or, or other items that that, that the, uh, the individuals were looking for. But, you know, just because an individual may ask you for money is not necessarily a crime if they're doing it in a public park. And when I say aggressive, aggressive panhandling, that's just a term that I utilize to say that, you know, there is absolutely no um, shyness in, in who they will approach. Um, they never got to the point where they were physical with the folks, um, but at the same time, too, it made them feel very uncomfortable. Sure. Um, and then ultimately, when they said no, they would go their own way. But at the end of the day, they would still call us and they would let us um, or ask us to respond to the area and want to report that type of behavior because they didn't believe that it was appropriate that they couldn't just go down to the beach access and access the beaches or they couldn't just go to the local convenience store and, and purchase the items without having to kind of go through that, what they considered to be harassment. I know firsthand exactly what he is talking about. Of course, like I mentioned earlier, I had no idea what was going on. But I did notice more homeless people in the area, more people that seemed rough around the edges, troubled. I remember using the beach access Dan Singleton was talking about just north of Gaydon's office. The access was sandwiched between a well-known hotel and one of those overgrown empty lots. The sand path to the beach was always littered with broken glass, and you always had to maneuver past a few homeless guys sitting atop the wooden stairway to the beach. Now, they were always respectful, especially when I had my family with me. But one time, one of them was passed out, sleeping, directly across the path. It was either walk over him or turn around. We turned around and drove south to another beach access. That was the last time I ever used that particular path to get to the beach. Soon after, I found out that overgrown lot was a notorious makeshift camp filled with addicts. It was also directly across State Road A1A from the school bus stop. And that became a source of derision for many in that neighborhood, who then formed a private Facebook group to try and figure out what to do about it. Because here's what you have to understand. These were not just people who were using, they were also selling. There's a balancing act Gaydon's patients needed to perform. Use enough pills to feed their addiction, and sell enough pills to be able to afford the next visit with him and a prescription. Here's Carrie Martin, one of the people in that Facebook group. The rat hole was another huge dead giveaway. I actually have put that out of my mind. It was so terrible. Literally in the mornings, right, be driving to go somewhere and we, the neighborhood named it the rat hole because there was literally a cutout in the dunes that looked like a hole in a wall where the rats would go. People would park their cars over at the double tree, go into the homeless encampment that was in there, buy their drugs, and then go back about their day. The local kids who lived in this neighborhood who'd wait for the bus stop on the corner of our street and A1A were directly across from the rat hole. And then the drug dealers in there were starting to sell drugs to the kids at their bus stop. It was horrible. It was just terrible. I felt like it ruined our neighborhood because there was a lot more crime, a lot more sketchy people. People were outside less, keeping our kids inside more often. It's just a really scary time. I asked Deborah Lavelle if Gaydon's operation affected the neighborhood. Oh, it certainly did. You got riffraff. You could tell the difference of who was hanging out there. I mean, people were coming from all over. I understand they were flying in in Melbourne Airport 
because they could go to him, they could get about 15 grand worth of pills in one day and fly back out until they got caught. So they were coming from all over. I mean, even my son said, because I talked to him since I was going to talk to you to get some insight. And he was like, yeah, we used to drive all the way to Fort Lauderdale. There was a pharmacy down there that would gladly. So if you couldn't get it one place. Did you catch that? Groups of people were flying in from out of state to get prescriptions from Gaydon and selling those drugs elsewhere. That's mind-boggling that a small-town doctor, whose own father was a well-known sort of local hero who overcame polio and was much beloved, would become known across state lines for all the wrong reasons. Here's Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivey talking about what Gaydon did to the neighborhood. Again, you, you see... You see the physical effects of it because you see, you know, the the homeless people that gather that area. You see the the homes that you know become drug houses. You see the neighbor next door to you that you know just has has fallen, has has at one point lived a, a, a very decent life and now would love to get back there. Has fallen because of that addiction to it. So it it can have devastating effects to a community. You look at the deaths that that are caused from it. Uh, and you're right, the pill mills have kind of subsided and, and gone to the thing, but the damage is still there, and, uh, and, and people are, are facing that. So before Gaydon really makes a significant blip on law enforcement's radar, the local teens, the junkies, and the residents of the neighborhood know just what he's up to. And just outside of this area, in another jurisdiction, Detective Mike Connor of the Indian Atlantic Police knows something is rotten as well. He starts paying very close attention to what's going on just outside the Indian Atlantic town limits. So after that, we started getting there was uh, some individuals here in town that um, I knew over the years in the course of being uh, a law enforcement officer in a small agency. Again, you get to know a lot of people in your community, uh, particularly the, the the younger folks, um, and started working some drug cases where even they were going, "Hey, have you heard about this Dr. Gating guy?" Um, one person in particular would check. I would check in on him quite frequently, um, and, he and, away and he ended up passing away uh, eventually because uh, he was getting these prescriptions from from John Gaydon. Chief Connor was talking about Stuart Fraser. He knew the family from Melbourne Beach, and he spoke to Stuart quite often. In fact, Connor would later testify that Stuart would even sometimes drop by the Inti Atlantic Police Department to check on Connor and say hello. And many times it was simply just to let Connor know that he was clean at that time. Connor testified he always knew when Stewart was using because he was all strung out on Oxycontin. Stewart and his roommate, Nicholas Giles, both eventually overdosed and died. But even though John Gaydon had no idea, things around him had already started to heat up. Significantly in 2007 when a young woman overdosed in nearby Melbourne and died. When police investigated... They found the woman, her boyfriend, and her mother were all patients of Gaydon, and all receiving large amounts of opiate painkillers. But Gaydon continued to do his thing, oblivious of any trouble brewing in his future. And as you heard Melbourne teenager Corey Ann Lundstrom say in a previous episode, Gaydon's medical practice became strictly a cash-only operation. Again, here is Melbourne teenager Corey Ann Lundstrom talking with police explaining how Gaydon never really examined her during her visits. He doesn't ask you, how's your knee, how's your health, 
Are the pills working for you? You know, do you? He would you, probably have to ask me what was wrong with me in the beginning. What was my reason of coming in from the beginning? Because he wouldn't even know. Ha has he ever asked you when you came in? Did you take all your pills this time? <laughs> I mean, he would just assume that you're out. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could have a stockpile of them, and he would never know. He did never asked you. Exactly. No more insurance. No more Medicaid. No more checks. Just cold, hard cash. Gaydon would charge between $200 and $400 per visit, and apparently he was only spending five minutes at a time with each patient. And there were enough patients to form lines in the morning and to warrant the presence of a hot dog stand outside. That, you can imagine, is a lot of cash. It turns out that Gaydon owned the building where the clinic was, and he was amassing other properties as well. Here is Agent Jason Kriegsman with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. He had a townhouse in um, Indian Harbor, and he had another house, um, and then he purchased a condo for over a million dollars in Winter Park at some time. Um, but so at getting back to his activity, so at the height of it, I want he he was prescribing over a million oxycodones a year, um, basically over we. we I want to say over 20,000 pills a week in that that were getting dispersed through Brevard County. Um, and, and many of those, you know, were going on the street because they're very valuable. I mean, you could get good money for 30, you know, usually it's a dollar, um, you know, a milligram. So for 30, you get $30 a pill. So you do the math, you know. Gaydon is selling addiction and misery and getting rich filthy rich. But there was something even more sinister than that at play. Next time on Murder on the Space Coast. And then stories started surfacing of not only was he, was Dr. Gaydon giving drug prescriptions to anybody who could give him $200 cash, but he was preying on teenage girls who were drug addicts and using them, keeping them for himself to use however he pleased in trades for drugs. Whatever you say about a person who is distributing drugs on a street corner, they tend to be fueling an existing problem. They tend to be servicing existing addicts. Whereas a doctor who is giving out drugs too recklessly, too freely, too casually, is often creating new addicts where none existed before. That's it for now. I'm opinion editor John A. Torres. And you can follow me on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And follow the podcast on at 321Murder. For more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to floridatoday.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Monster on the Beach, a Murder on the Space Coast podcast, brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.